Wasn't that some good singing? Hey, let's put our hands together for that. That was great. It was good here in London. I trust it was just as good in Somerset and Williamsburg. And uh, I can't think of a better way to uh, start the second Sunday of a brand new year than just like that. Of course, we are a few days into the new year and I feel pretty confident and pretty safe in saying this, that I think we've all started this new year in the very same way because we all started this year uh, wanting the same thing, hoping for the same thing, and perhaps even praying for the same thing. And that would be a better year. Uh, this is what we're all wanting, and this is what we're all hoping for, and this is what many of us are praying for. Uh, we are hoping and praying and wanting 2021 to be better than 2020. And not just because 2020 was the worst year ever, though probably it wasn't. Uh, when you probably take all of human history in consideration, 2020, yeah, it was tough, it was treacherous, it was trying, and for you, it, it may have been worse than for a lot of others. And it was a bad year, but it was not the worst year. Uh, and, and it's not just because that 2020, you know, some people have called it's a dumpster fire and it's still burning and, you know, or some folks call it a meat grinder, you know, and all of that. It's just not because 2020 was 2020. Uh, because there was some good in 2020. There were some great things that happened in 2020, but our desire for a better 2021 compared to 2020 is something that we actually you know, practice every single year. Every year when we get to the end of December and every year when we get to the first of January, we want the new year to be better than the last year. It's just what we do. And, and it doesn't have so much to do with what happened the year before or what we hope happens, you know, in the year to come. There's just something fundamental inside of you and fundamental inside of me. That's what makes you human. It's what makes me human. It's, it's a fundamental desire. It's an inclination. It, it, it's, it's something that's birthed down there in our soul that we can't keep suppressed that causes us to feel that way every single year. It's just fundamental to our humanity that every year we want the new year to be better than the last year. No matter how good the previous year may have been or how bad the previous year may have been, we always want the new year to be better than the last. It's just how we're wired. But there is a deeper, greater desire that every single one of us have that's bigger and greater than just this desire for a better year. And, and this desire is rooted in and anchored to the, the deepest parts of our human wiring. I think it's the, the thumbprint of God on your life, the thumbprint of God on my life. It, it, it's a desire inside of you and a desire inside of me that surpasses this somewhat superficial desire for a better year. There's a desire inside of all of us that feeds off of inspiration and ultimately, it fuels the human imagination because it begins to be our desire for a better life. And underneath this desire for a better year, there is this desire inside of all of us for a better life. That's what makes us human. There's something inside of you and something inside of me that's always, cra always craving, always imagining, always chasing a better life. It's what makes us uniquely human. Matter of fact, neuroscientists, uh, they have began to associate this desire for a better life with one of the seven core instincts of the human brain. And I'm not going to take time to tell you about all seven instincts of the human brain, but the instinct that they connected to is the instinct that they refer to as the seeking instinct, the seeking instinct of the brain. There's something inside of you, the way God made you. There's something inside of me, the way God made me. There is a seeking part of our intuition. There's just something in us that seeks for more, no matter what we've got, 
No matter how much we've got, no matter where we are, what we've experienced, there's always something inside of us when we're tapped into our humanity that seeks for more, that seeks after better. Uh, God wired us in a way to have a healthy skepticism of status quo, to not see status quo as a virtue. But there's something inside of us that seeks for better. Now, sometimes we suppress it and sometimes we don't give into it, but there's something inside of us the way God made us, that's always seeking better. And so neuroscientists, they've actually, you know, began to formulate this idea that for us humans, that our satisfaction in life and with life, actually we find it in the journey and not the destination because the moment we find what we think we're looking for, we're never really satisfied by it because we're always geared by a pursuit for more. We're always geared towards a pursuit of better. So we actually find our satisfaction, our deepest satisfaction, when we are seeking better, when we are seeking more, when we are seeking greater degrees of good. And it's this instinct that God has put inside all of us which has led to discovery. There was something that made men and women get in boats and cross an ocean. There was something inside of humanity that wanted to go to the stars. So it, it fuels this idea of discovery, exploration, advancement, uh, expression, the arts, creation, innovation, improvement. All of that stuff is connected to that part of the brain that God put inside of all of us. This desire to seek more, this desire to seek better. And all of those things, innovation, creation, improvement, discovery, exploration, all of those things form the components of a better life, a better existence. And many of us in the 21st century, Western part of the world, we have a much better existence, a much better life compared to previous generations and even compared to certain parts of the planet today because of some of these things that men and women have gone in pursuit of. So there is this desire for a better life and it's the way God wired us, but there is still something deeper than a desire for a better life. It's something greater and it's something deeper and it's a desire that all of us have for a better me. And so if we just think about it, we think what all of us want is a better year, right? It's January, let's talk about a better year, but it's, it's, it's bigger than that, it's better than that. So we, we could talk about a better life and, and who doesn't want a better life, but underneath those desires, there is this desire for a better me. And so we want a better year and we want a better life, but intuitively, we know that all of that begins, or we should know that intuitively, all of that begins with a better me. And you may not know it's what you've been looking for, and you may not even know it's what you've been longing for, but what you're looking for and what I'm longing for is a better me. And so every January, Americans will spend tens of billions of dollars seeking smarter, prettier, skinnier, holier, friendlier, healthier, richer. That's just who we are. That's, that's how we're wired. And we can make fun of that and say that's a bad thing and all of that, but but that's the way God has wired us. We want to pursue a better me because we know a better me leads to a better life and a better life ultimately is a better year. And at the end of all of our years, it's a better existence. Now, if you're uber religious or you grew up in church, you know, and maybe had some bad influences because you can't have some bad influences growing up in church, you may hear this talk about a better me and you, you may think, well, that just sounds superficial. That just sounds selfish, downright, I say, unspiritual. But that actual type of thinking flies in the face of what Jesus himself taught. Jesus taught this. He said, the thief's purpose, or you call him the devil, call him Satan, call him the accuser, or just leave it a thief. A thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. 
A rich and satisfying life. Eugene Peterson, he said it this way. I came so that they could have real and eternal life. More and better life. Everybody say better. Better life than they ever dreamed of. Now, Jesus couldn't have been more clear. He came to offer eternal life after death. And Jesus came to offer satisfying life, big life, better life before death. Jesus' death and resurrection secured our eternal life. You gotta understand that, that's Christianity 101. His death, his resurrection, dying in our place for our sin, he secured our eternal life. But it was Jesus's teaching that pointed us towards what a better life actually is and what it actually looks like. Uh, When you open up the pages of the New Testament, you're gonna find out that as you read the words of Jesus in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, that Jesus taught that love is better than hate. So Jesus would say, if you want a better you, if you want a better life, if you want a better year, love is better than hate. Compassion, it's a better way to live than being angry. Forgiving people, much better way to live than holding grudges against people. Jesus would say, you want a better life? Let me talk to you about generosity because generosity is a better way to live than being greedy. There's really no happiness in being greedy. So choose generosity because it's better. Jesus would teach that obedience, Obedience to God is better than rebellion against God. It's just a better way to live. That serving others is a better way to live than expecting others to serve you. Jesus would teach us that hope, living life from a posture of hope, is better than living life with dread. Dreading what's gonna happen next. Dreading what may happen next week. What's gonna happen next year. Jesus said hope. Hope for a brighter future. Hope for a better tomorrow is a much better way to live than with dread. That trust, trust is better than worry. That faith, better way to live than fear. That giving grace is a better way to live than seeking ways to bring retribution or revenge. That wisdom is better than foolishness. And and you can just find on and on and on, Jesus would teach us what a better me looks like, what a better you looks like. But sometimes we don't like what a better me looks like. We don't like what a better you looks like. We don't like that because we want a different definition of better. We, We have a different idea of better. But Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me and if you're gonna trust me for eternal life, Why don't you just go ahead and trust me that I know what I'm talking about when I talk about a better life. I know what's better for you. I know that he knows or I wanna trust that he knows what's better for me. And so Jesus, that's what he invites us to. He invites us to a better way of life because Jesus doesn't force those things into our life. Jesus asks us to follow him towards those things, to pursue those things, to practice those things. And so Jesus offers us eternal life. You've heard us say this many times, but we need to be reminded of it. Jesus offers us eternal life, but Jesus also offers us a better life. And and this is a big deal. This is what that means. It means better is possible. Let's all just say that out loud together. Let's go. Ready? Go. Better is possible. One more time. Let's declare it. Better is possible. A better year? Yes, possible. Better life? Possible. A better me? possible, better you, possible. It's not impossible to be better. It's not impossible to live better. It's not impossible to get better. It's not wishful thinking. Better is possible because Jesus offers us better. And when we follow Jesus, we follow Jesus in the direction of better. 
And that brings us to this series and the big idea of this series that we're gonna camp out on for the next few weeks. And the idea of this series is actually even better news than the news that better is possible because that's good news because some, some of us, we give up on that idea from time to time that better is, I just am who I am. I'm gonna be who I am. I've always been this way. I'm always gonna be this way. I'm a worrier. I just drop the ball over and over again. That's just who I am. That's how I was raised and da, da, da. But better is possible. But even better news than that is this. A better year, a better life, and a better me is not only possible, it can begin today. It can begin today, today. To say it a little bit more succinctly, better is possible and it can begin today. Better is possible and it can begin today. That's one revolution of the earth. That's 24 hours, that's 1,440 uh, <clears throat> minutes, that's 86,400 seconds, that's 100,000 heartbeats, that's a, a day of your life, a day of my life. And each one of those, each one of those hours, each, each one of those minutes, each one of those seconds, each one of those heartbeats, it's an opportunity for better. Amen. It's an opportunity for a better life. A better life isn't once upon a time somewhere out there. A better life is possible today. But if it's possible and it can happen today, and that's what Jesus offers us, what's the disconnect? Why not so much better life going on inside the church? Why do we not see a whole lot of better among Christians? I don't know about you, but I didn't intend to say this, but it's, it's free and you can do with it what you want. I've never been so frustrated with Christians in all of my life and I am one. I've never been so frustrated. I've never been so frustrated with lots of things than, than I have been over the past few weeks. How, how many of us are gonna continue to be willing to forfeit better just because of X, Y, or Z? Forfeit better because of what they did at the UK game. Forfeit better because of what they're doing in Washington. Forfeit better because I didn't win. Forfeit better because they said this. Forfeit better because I read that online. Forfeit better, forfeit better, forfeit better. Are we ever gonna get tired of Jesus followers, including ourselves, forfeiting better every single day until it becomes the epitaph of our life? I don't want that to be my story. I don't want that to be your story. So what's the disconnect? Why is it Jesus said all of these things are better, but we just don't see a lot of those things? In the mirror, out of each other? I think there's lots of potential answers, but I think the two big ones, I think we can reduce it down to, I, I, think, I think this is kind of it. I think the reason we don't see a lot of it is because the past and yesterday. The past and the future and yesterday and tomorrow. I think those are the two things that you know, really hold up people. It's, it's the past and the future. People are either hung up on one or the other. And a lot of people miss better today because they're fixated by, overwhelmed with, consumed with what happened yesterday, what happened last week, what happened last year, what happened last decade, what happened 20 years ago. And they're so fixated and consumed by the past, they miss better today. Or the other people who are so consumed with, I hope it gets better, when it gets better, when this changes, when this happens, and hope so, and maybe so. And because we're so consumed with either the past or the future, we miss the opportunity for better today. And anytime we get stuck in the past, and we all know some people who are stuck in the past, and anytime we get stuck in the future, because some people can get stuck in the future, we miss an opportunity for better today. 
It's just the facts of the matter. Now, for some of us, the problem really is the past. It's yesterday, but, but newsflash, we all have a past. If you have a past, raise your hand, all right? All right, some of you just don't like to play. That's okay. Too cool for school. You've been in church for too long. All right, so all of us have a past. Everybody, we've got yesterdays behind us. Some of them are pretty. Some of them are ugly. Some of them were good. Some of them were bad. Some of them we, we would repeat. Some of them we regret. There's successes in our past, there's failures in our past. There's smiles and tears in our past. There's wise steps and missteps. There's things that we can celebrate in our past and there's things that we still mourn about our past. But here's what we should all know. We know this, but we don't live like we know this. There's no redoing or undoing what has been. Whatever your story is, whatever my story is, It is not within the human capacity. God did not give us the opportunity to go back and redo or undo anything that has been done. What was, was, and it will always be. And as soon as we can come to grips with that, the better off we will be. What was, was, and it will always be. You can't undo what's been done. You can't unspeak what's been spoken. You can't take back what you gave away. You can try to ignore the past, forget about the past, but it's a far better thing to embrace it and learn from it. That's what the apostle Paul taught. He says, I'm trying to forget those things in the past, though I really can't forget them. I'm just not letting them control me. There's value in learning from the past, but only futility in trying to relive the past. So if you can't get past your past, If you can't let it go, if you keep digging up what God has buried, if you keep lugging around guilt for what God has given grace for, if you keep regretting and keep regretting and keep regretting what happened once upon a time to the point that you can't do anything today, you've gotten stuck and you are forfeiting better today because of what happened once upon a yesterday. And that's some of us. But for others of us, the reason we don't have better is because of the future. It's because of tomorrow. And this is the person who's always living in the future, always consumed with what might happen, what should happen, what could happen, uh, what they hope happens, what they pray will happen. Uh, They're always fixated by the worst case scenario. And you know, if, if, if this happens and what if I fall and what if I lose and what if they do that and what happens if the market and, and, and then some people, they're the total opposite. They're always just pie in the sky, best case scenario. When this falls in place and, and they call and she shows up and he comes by and, and when that happens, boy, I'm gonna be here and it's gonna be incredible. It's gonna be the best thing ever. And they're always just living in the future fixated on the potential of what might happen or the dread of what could happen. That's how some people live. And they envision a future and they get stuck in that vision. Some people, you know, they see a future, boy, you know, if I can fix, you know, this or that, the future is gonna be free from challenge, it's gonna be free from pain, it's gonna be free from trouble, uh, free from suffering. And for some people, when they, when they look to the future, that's all they can see is challenge, suffering, trouble, and pain because that's all they've ever known. Those fixated, those who are fixated on yesterday or tomorrow, do so while neglecting today. So if you're stuck in the past or you're stuck in a future that isn't yet or may never be, you're doing so 
while you neglect today. You are forfeiting an opportunity today for the better life that Jesus offered. Now, this is what we're gonna talk about today. When it comes to yesterday, we all have one, right? But when it comes to tomorrow, none of us are assured of one. Today is all we have. Today is all we have. This day, this moment, it's all we've got. Yesterday is over. It is over, Rover. It is gone. It is buried. It can't be repeated. Tomorrow, we have no idea if we're even going to make it there. Today is all we've got. It's all we've got when it comes to living. It's all we've got when it comes to loving. It's all we've got when it comes to laughing and enjoying life. This is it. No promise of tomorrow. Yesterday is settled. It's over. It's done. Today is our opportunity for better. Today is our opportunity for change. Today is our opportunity for improvement, for growth. Today is all we've got. And so we need to stop being so consumed with yesterday and tomorrow and just be present today. Enjoy life, live life, get better at it. Follow Jesus and let him teach us how to get better at it. Because some of us, were just not even present today. We're thinking about last week, what it may mean next month, what it may mean next year, and so much so, we've just forfeited all the good in between. We just need to be present. Because sometimes we, we miss good things in the present. I was, I was telling him about it before church started. I was coming down the hall. I maybe shouldn't tell this, but I'm going to tell it. I didn't plan to tell it, but this is when trouble happens in preacher world. When you tell things you didn't plan, you didn't think it out. But I was coming down the hall at the house, and it was just me and the boys home. And, and I was walking down the hall, and I heard Grayson and Shepard in the living room. And, and they weren't paying any attention to me. And I really wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to them. You know, I was being a good father. And, uh, you know, so I, I was walking down the hall. All of a sudden, I heard Shepard look at Grayson and say, Grayson, you can suck it. what? You know, I was like, what? And, and, and I look in through the kitchen and he looked at him again and said, Grayson, just suck it. And I said, ho, 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 shepherd. What in the world? He said, what dad? I said, help me understand what's going on here. He said, Grayson won't quit chopping on this Jolly Rancher. And I told him just to suck it instead. I just started dying laughing. And Shepard's like, what? What's so funny? It was irritating. I was like, don't worry about it. But sometimes we're just too busy. Even the most insignificant, mundane things, we can just miss it. This is the only opportunity we have. The only one. Dell Witherington talking about this, he said, today is the most important day of my life. Yours too. Yesterday with its successes and victories, struggles and failures, it's gone forever. The past is past, done, finished. I cannot relive it. I cannot go back and change it. But I will learn from it and, and improve my today. Today, this moment, now, it is God's gift to me and it's all that I have. Tomorrow with all of its joys and sorrows, triumphs and troubles, it isn't here yet. Indeed, tomorrow may never come. Therefore, I will not worry about tomorrow. Today is what God has entrusted to me. It is all that I have. I will do my best in it. Then and only then will I plan my tomorrow, looking to improve upon today with God's help, and then I shall go to sleep in peace, content. What's his point? It's the point of this series. Better starts today. 
Change starts today. Improvement, healthier, better, all of that, it can begin today. Now, this was the point of Jesus' teaching when he said, I'm here to offer you a better life, rich and satisfying life, abundant life. But it was also one of the themes of his brother's teaching. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a letter to Christians in the first century. We call it the letter of James or the book of James located towards the end of the New Testament. And the book of James is, is one of my favorite books because it's one of the most practical. It's where the rubber meets the road. Uh, it's not very lofty. I mean, it's just in your face, real life stuff. And, and so James, he writes from a theme of wisdom, of insight. And so he gives words of wisdom to the readers and to the audience. And he says, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus with wisdom and, and all of his advice for the most part, it's very practical and it's very helpful. And so he zeroes in on the wisdom of understanding the value of today because it's all we have. The potential of today because it's all we have. And the good that can be done, the right that can be done today. And, and he zeroes in on this in a portion of his letter and we're gonna pick it up towards the end of his letter but, but this is the idea that he's wrestling with and, and this is what he says to us as he gives us wisdom about this idea. He says, look here, look here. You who say today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we will stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit. Now, just stop right there, don't read any further. James is talking about a business person. He's talking about a merchant and, and he's using a business person, not because there's anything wrong with being a business person or a merchant, but he's using this person to make a point. He's using this person to make an illustration. And, and this is a person, if we met them, we would say, wow, top A, this, this person has got it together. This person is planned. This person is thought through. They are organized. They have a plan. They have a strategy. They're motivated. They're growing their business. They're growing their book. They are doing everything that they need to do in order to achieve the things they want to achieve. We would meet this person and say, can I take you out to lunch? What a great leader. What a great business person. What a great businesswoman this is. Look at the plan. Look at the strategy. Look at the forethought. Look at their calendar in their phone. Look at their daytimer. Look at this. Wow, what a life. Now, James is not going to criticize this person because there's nothing wrong with having a plan and there's nothing wrong with being organized and there's nothing wrong with having strategy and there's nothing wrong with being motivated or making a profit or growing your business. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. He's not against going into business or being in business. He's, he's not against any of that stuff. He's not criticizing the actions of this person, but what he's going to do is he is going to be critical of the attitude of this person. Because this is a person that James is gonna put in front of us and say, this person, their attitude is one of those go at it alone type of attitudes. That's how this person is living their life. And maybe that's how some of us have been living our lives. Maybe that's how we live 2020 or 2019, or maybe that's just kind of the story of our life. This is a person who's just kind of going at it alone in life. This is a person, as one writer said, is playing humanity's favorite game. We're playing God. This person's playing God, God over their own life. They see themselves as the captain of their own soul or the determiner of their own destiny. And they live every day believing that in a practical sense. Uh, the rules of playing God, the rules of the game is this, you set your own schedule. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow. So, you know, you just set all of your schedule. You know, that's the rules for playing God. Uh, you, you choose your own path. Tomorrow, we're going to a certain town. I mean, we got a plan. We're going to a certain town. Uh, the rules of, you know, playing God is you determine your own limits. We're gonna stay there for a year. Uh, 
when you play God, you arrange all of your own activities. Uh, we're gonna do business there. It's gonna be a very specific type of business. And when you play God, you assume that you know how everything's gonna turn out. We're gonna go there and make a profit. No question, no doubt, this is what's happening. That's the rules of playing God. You just kinda do your own thing and you have no consideration of God in your plan whatsoever. Now, we tend to do this a lot. I tend to do this a lot. I would say maybe you tend to do this a lot. As humans, we love because we do it so much. We don't think of it in terms of love, but because we do it so much, we must love it. We love to sequester God into his own compartment. We sequester God into his own compartment and we leave him there except for the moments of major crisis. We kind of go through life with this practical theology that says, you know, God will handle the big stuff, you know, international affairs, wars, economies, social unrest, the future of the nation, you know, God will handle the big stuff, but you know, I'm, I'm gonna handle all the small stuff, my schedule, my habits, the way I do business, what I do with my money, you know, how I treat people, you know, my relationships and all of that. I, that that's kind of my thing. And you know, God, he's, he's dealing with the big stuff. So I'll pray to God about the big stuff, but I'm not even gonna think and worry about God when it comes to the small stuff, because I kind of got a handle on it. And we ultimately, we live like practical atheists practical atheists, not that we really are, not that we would ever say God doesn't exist, but we just live that way. We just talk that way. We, we just live like pr practical atheists or, you know, maybe in the best case scenario, practical deist. God exists, but he just doesn't care. Doesn't care about my schedule, doesn't care about my habits, doesn't care about all this small stuff over here. God just cares about the big stuff. And so what do we do? We make a plan for our life. We make a plan for our kid's life. We, we make a plan for our family. And we don't really even think about God in the matter. We just, we just go to plan. And maybe we, we make a plan and then kind of put it in front of God and say, okay, God, would you sign off on this? But we kind of, you know, have this, this tendency just to go through life and God becomes to be, you know, begins to be the furthest thing from our mind as we live our life, as we plan our life. And we're gonna go do this and we're gonna, you know, our ambition wants to get us here and to do that. And pretty soon we've got it all mapped out, but we've prayed about it, but it's more of us saying, God, here's the plan. I need you to, you know, give me an okay. I need you to check at the bottom, sign your name to it because I kind of got this figured out. Jesus said, this is the way people were gonna live in the generations leading up to the second coming. Now, Christians believe Jesus came the first time. That's what we celebrated at Christmas. But we also believe that Jesus is coming again for the second time. And Jesus said, the closer that we get to his second return, people are just gonna live more and more like this. This is what Jesus said about it in Matthew 24. He said, in those days, talking about the day of Noah and the ark and the flood. He said, in those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. Now, case in point, does Jesus have anything against banquets? No. Does Jesus have anything against parties? No. Does Jesus have anything against weddings? No. But the point is, he said, people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all the way. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. He said, there's gonna be a generation of people just living their lives, playing God, living, planning, acting, not really any general awareness of God, what God may be up to, what God wants to be up to, what God wants for me on a personal level, just kind of living life, going through the motions. I'm busy, I've got things to do, and I, I'm really not thinking about God in the matter. I've, I've become a practical atheist. I'm calling my own shots. I've become my own umpire. I decide what's in bounds and out of bounds. And this is where it gets a little touchy for us. 
here in America, in the West. Jesus is talking about an affluent crowd. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, well, I'm not affluent. Those of us in the West, we are mostly, almost exclusively affluent when compared to the rest of the world. Most of you, if not all of you, right now you have more than enough. You have an additional pair of shoes. You have an additional set of clothes. You have additional food. You have a plan for food. You have a budget for food. Your car sleeps in its own house. So affluence. And this is what Jesus and James is talking about. Affluence, is it a good thing? Is it a, is it, yes, is it a bad thing? No, is it, is it wrong to have? No, is it wrong to have more than enough? No, there's nothing wrong with that. But affluence, the downside of affluence, the underbelly of affluence is that it can turn our hearts toward fleeting satisfactions and away from God himself. Jesus said, when, when you pray, when you follow me, you should pray. Heavenly Father, give me today my daily bread. Do you know how hard it is to pray that prayer with any honesty and to pray that prayer with any emotional connection when you walk into your pantry and you've got enough food for weeks? Do you know how hard it is to feel compelled to say, God, give me today my daily bread when you have got bread for weeks? And when you've got bread for weeks, you don't really sense a motivation to pray, God, give me today my bread. I need bread today, God. I, I don't have anything in the pantry. If you didn't have anything in the pantry and I didn't have anything in the pantry, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna be very motivated to say, God, give me today my daily bread. But we got so much bread, we're not very motivated by that prayer. We're not emotionally connected to that prayer. So in our affluence, we begin to forget God. We begin to forget our depend, you know, our depend, how we're supposed to depend upon God. So we begin to feel independent of God. We, we begin to trust in ourselves, and it leads to a sense of arrogant autonomy. We get arrogant and we become autonomous. Uh, we, we just don't think that we need God. Now we would never say it. Oh goodness, we would never say it. Never say it, but we just live like it. We've got what we need and we have success and we've got a plan and we got a job and we got a proven track record and we've gotten good at what we do. And you know, I just wake up and I do what I do and what happens happens. And it's like, you know, I may say, thank you, God. And, but, but in my heart of hearts and in my mind and in my, the way I'm living, I don't sense this dependence that I need to have for God. I've just become arrogant and autonomous. And pretty soon I look to the future and my future seems certain and my future seems secure. And the way it is now, it's always gonna be, and it's probably, knowing me, it's only gonna get better, and we're only gonna have more, and it's only gonna be bigger, and it's only gonna be better, and it's gonna grow and expand. And James said, this is the problem with this attitude. It's, it takes us in really dangerous directions. James goes on, and he says, so how, how do you know? The problem with this is, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Anybody here know what's gonna to happen tomorrow? No. You may predict, you may try to use logic and try to forecast, but nobody knows for sure what's gonna to happen tomorrow. He says, and besides that, your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while and then it is gone. Now we know this, life is anything but simple. 
It's a complicated matrix of forces and events and people and contingencies and circumstances over which you and I have very little control. Could you control anything that happened in our nation over the last few days? Could you reach out and change anything? Did you see anybody where it looked like anybody could change anything? Life's complicated, there's forces, there's circumstances, there's people, there's agendas, there's all of this stuff. And at the end of the day, how much of it can you control? How much of it can I control? Why would we be arrogant and autonomous from God and ever believe that we don't need him every second of the day that we live? How could we ever get to that place? Our life is like a vapor, it's here, it's short. I'm 42 years old, I would have to live to 84 to be middle-aged. American life expectancy says I'm past middle age. I'm in the third quarter of the game and I don't even have an assurance that I'm gonna make it through that quarter. It's it's uncertain. We can't control it. And this is what James is showing us and presenting us with this inconvenient, uncomfortable truth. There's plaque in my body, plaque in your body that one piece breaks away and it's over. Our cells are constantly dividing. One cell goes rogue and in three years we're dead from cancer and we didn't even know it. Someone veers into our lane and we couldn't control it. The markets crashed and we had nothing that we could do about it. Son or daughter decides to go off the rails and make some really unhealthy decisions and what could we do about it? Nations, empires, they collapse, they fall all the time. They've been doing that since the dawn of history. What can I do about it? Why should I sit around and twiddle my thumbs with fret and dread over something that I can't control? James says, when you are living like that, you're neglecting your opportunity for better today. No wonder Solomon said it this way. He said, don't brag about tomorrow. You don't even know what the day will bring. Bragging about tomorrow is like assuming you know what's gonna happen, that you can control the outcomes, and we know better than that. So James says, what then you ought to do is, you ought to say, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Or as one translation said, we should say the Lord willing. And he's not talking about some superstitious tag on, you know, some Christians, you know, they just take it literal. Well, I'll be over for breakfast, Lord willing. You know? Next week, we're gonna have church, Lord willing. You know, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about just throwing it on there to, you know, kind of, oh, that's what he said, said Lord willing. He's talking about an attitude. He's talking about an orientation towards life. He's talking about realizing who's really in control. Who's really, come on. Who's really in control? I am so tired of the fret and the fear I'm so tired of the anger and the hatred from Christians who act as though somebody else other than God is in control. That somebody else's plan is gonna win. That somebody else's agenda is gonna supersede God's agenda. That God and somehow, God is up there just aghast in heaven. God's got a plan. God has not forfeited control of the universe, not one single solitary moment, and certainly not control of this nation or any other nation. 
And it's time we start acting like we believe what we say we believe. So if you're running around like a crazy nut on Facebook or Twitter or whenever you've run off to because some people hurt your feelings, we need to anchor ourselves back into what we believe. God is in control. We are not. And I could take it further, but I'm not. Or maybe I will. Zuckerberg, Pelosi, Biden, Trump, McConnell, anybody else you wanna name. Do they have power? Yes. Do they have position? Yes. Are they connected? Yes. But they, make no mistake about it, they are not in control. God is in control. Make no mistake about it. So, I feel like I just gave birth to a baby. I've had that in there for too long. Today, and when we run around like that, we miss today. This is what the scriptures teach us. We can make our plans, but it's the Lord who determines our steps. Will Congress pass some things that you may not like, I may not like? Maybe. They have a plan, but God determines the steps of Congress. God determines your steps. God determines the steps of our civic leaders. Oh, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purposes will prevail. A person's steps, Republican, a Democrat, an independent, they're directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their own way? You think you're plotting the way? You think you're in control? God says, shut up. You're not in control. There's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. What are we so flipping afraid of? I tell you, if we made it through Caesar, if we made it through Septimius, if we made it through Diocletian, if we made it through Claudius, I'm pretty sure we're gonna make it the next four years. Pretty sure. And then we'll make it the next four after, the Lord willing. My favorite one, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him and though he may stumble, he will not fall for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Amen. So don't buy into the illusion that we can control what God's already told us we don't control because we'll trust ourselves and unknowingly stop trusting God. And so James, he wraps it up and he says, otherwise, if you do this, if you live like this, otherwise you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. What? No, they're evil. No, James says, you're evil. James says, you think they're in control? Ah, you're the evil one. No, they're evil because they're in control. No, he says, no, when you live the way that you think you're in control, they're in control, that everybody else is in control except for God. And then don't say, I believe God's ultimately in control and then walk around the way you walk around without any joy or without any faith or without any hope because you really don't believe what you say you believe. Amen. And then he ends here. He says, if anyone then knows the good, everybody say good. good. If anybody knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, doesn't do it when? Today. Doesn't do it, it is, whew, Another Bible word, sin. 
Or as my preacher growing up would say, sinna. You know, you turn it into a two-syllable word. I mean, if you're really holy, you turn sin into a two-syllable word, just not one. He says, if you know the good to do today, if you know the better to do today, and you don't do it, that's sin. If you know it's good to trust God and not put your hopes in the leaders of the land or in this group or that group or in this platform or that platform, if you know that it is good and best to trust God and you don't, it's sin. If you take the future for granted and you just think it's gonna be, that's not a good way to live. And James says, if you live that way, it's sin. So James would give us all this advice. Don't procrastinate. Don't procrastinate. It's your favorite, it's my favorite form of self-sabotage. It's the grave where opportunity is buried. Don't procrastinate the good that you can do today because if you do, it's sin. Don't become complacent. Don't become apathetic. Don't neglect today because you're so into yesterday and tomorrow. Don't get distracted by the circus. Don't get distracted by the bells and the whistles. Keep your head down. Live today. Pursue better today. Grow today. Improve today. Because otherwise you may end up being a success in things that really don't matter. So what's the good that you know you need to do today? What's the good that I know I need to do today? Is it something about your health? You can take a little bit of your health and make it your responsibility, but you don't. And you know that would be a good thing, but you don't. James said, that's a sin. It'd be good for you to forgive them and let it go today. Forgive them and let it go today. It's good. It's better. And if you don't, James would say, that's sin. If you know it's good and better to be generous, but, 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 but you're holding on to it and you won't share it, sin. If you refuse to tell the people that you love that you love them and the people you appreciate that you appreciate them, though you know that would be good, sin. Yesterday is past. Tomorrow isn't promised. Today is all we have. What are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a few moments. It was James who wrote in James chapter 1 that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. That when we listen to the word and we fail to obey it or we fail to respond to it, we're like a person who looks in the mirror and then we walk away forgetting what we saw. This is a moment where I just want us to sit at all of our churches. I just want us to sit and ask God the Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts as individuals, to speak into our hearts as people that Jesus has died for, that he has offered us a better life, to show us the good that we need to start doing today, the better that we need to start pursuing today. So just in your own heart, just ask God, God, speak to me today. And today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Take a moment and just listen 
Heavenly Father, yesterday's over. We're not assured of tomorrow, today, today, today. It's all we have. It's all we have. And it is a gift. So let us trust you and do good. And let us live life to the full. Let us love and laugh and enjoy the moments that out of your grace you allow us to have. Teach us how to use today to pursue the better that you've offered us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen.